if you have a copy of God's Word, either in print like I do, or you have a copy digitally on your phone, let me encourage you to hold it up right now and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now open up your copy of God's Word with me to Revelation chapter 21. Last week, we looked at the end for the unredeemed, the unrepentant, those who have never been born again. And we discovered that they will stand before the great white throne and they will be judged by a holy God. And then because of their sin, because of the rebellion, because they have refused to repent, they will be thrown into the lake of fire where they will spend eternity forever and ever. But today I want us to join John as he has given a glimpse of what God has in store for those who know him, those who love him, the eternal home of, of those who are true followers of Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews says this, the world, this world, is not our home. We are looking forward to a home that is yet to come. The Apostle Paul, quoting the prophet Isaiah, said, The eye has not seen, neither has the ear heard, neither has it entered into the mind of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. R.G. Lee, who was a great preacher of the past, said, Heaven is the most beautiful place that the mind of God could conceive and the hand of God could create. But unfortunately, there is a lot of confusion, and to be honest, I believe a lack of understanding as to what the Bible teaches about our eternal home. David Platt said this, he said, Heaven is not a place where we have nothing to do but, but float on the clouds, but a new earth where we have everything to do, a God to worship, a kingdom to rule, a, a universe to explore, work to accomplish, friends to enjoy. Paul Marshall said, our destiny is an earthly one, a new earth, an earth redeemed and transfigured, an earth reunited with heaven, but an earth nevertheless. Randy Alcorn, in his great book on heaven, put it this way. He said, just as we are made from the earth, we are made for the earth. Now, if your Bibles are open, I want you to follow along as I begin reading in verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look! God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eye. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, 
it is finished. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. All who are thirsty I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning fire. This is the second death. Now we're told the first thing that happens after the great white throne judgment is the creation of our new home. I want you to listen again to what John said in verse 1. He said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven, the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. You see, this view that the ultimate home that God has prepared for us is somewhere out there is unbelievable, is unbiblical. According to the prophets, according to Peter, according to Jesus himself, our destiny is to live forever on a restored and a renewed earth. Peter said it this way, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. The home of righteousness. Isaiah the prophet said this. He said, as the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure. The Bible begins with the creation of heaven and earth. And the Bible ends with the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. In verse 5, we are told that the one who is seated on the throne says, I am making everything new. Now, why? Why is God making everything new? If God's plan is for us to live on earth, then why is he making it new? Well, the reason is because when humanity fell into sin, everything, including the heavens that we see, the earth that we live on, everything growing and inhabiting the earth was affected by sin. God said this to Adam in Genesis 3. He said, cursed is the ground because of you. But just as God promised the redemption of man, God promised the redemption of of the universe of all creation in Romans chapter 8 it says this for all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are against his will all creation was subjected to God's curse but with eager hope the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The Bible says that creation itself groans, longing for the day when Jesus is going to make everything new. The prophet Isaiah said, The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of God Ezekiel said it this way he said they will say this land that was laid waste has become the garden of God Eden lost 
because of sin will become Eden restored. But it will be so much more than that. I love what Randy Alcorn said. He said the gospel is far greater than, than most of us imagine. It isn't just good news for us. It's good news for the animals, the plants, the stars, the planets. It's good news for the sky above and the earth below. Now, let's go back to verse 1 if your Bibles are open. John says there is a new heaven and a new earth because the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. Now, there are some that say because the first heaven and the first earth have been completely destroyed that everything is going to be different. But I don't think that's how the Bible describes it. John Piper said it this way. He said, we might say the caterpillar passes away and the butterfly emerges. There's a real passing away, but there is also a real continuity, a real connection. The butterfly emerges and is completely new, and yet it is completely the same. In 1 Corinthians 5, 17, speaking of those of us who have been saved, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Everything has become new. In one sense, when we are saved, everything becomes new. But in another sense, when we're saved, we are still the same. Now, the word that that John uses in verse 1 for new is the Greek word kainos, and, and it means a quality, not a kind of newness. And so, in other words, the new heaven and the new earth is new in its quality, but it's not new in its kind. Now, look at that last phrase in verse 1. There will no longer be any sea. i got to confess to you, I love the beach. I love walking on the beach. I love sitting on the beach. I, I, I love reading on the beach. I, I love, if I'm on the East Coast, looking at sunrises coming up over the ocean. If I'm on the West Coast, I, I love looking at the sunset over the ocean. I, I love the beach. I love the oceans. And so is this saying is in the new heaven, in the new earth, there's not going to be any more beach. There's not going to be any more ocean what exactly does this mean well let, let me try to explain it to you the way I understand it almost all scientists secular scientists would say to you that hundreds of millions of years ago there was only one continent on planet earth but because of the tectonic shifts in the earth's plate over millions of years these continents have shifted and now instead of one supercontinent we have one or seven smaller continents now if you think that's silly what you need to do is take a map of the earth and look at it and notice how the continents look like a giant puzzle and if you bring them together you move the oceans and bring them together they all fit into one piece now what's crazy is creation scientists Christian scientists would say the same thing they would say early on in creation there was only one continent but that didn't change over hundreds of millions of years that changed because of one cataclysmic event 
It changed with the flood. You see, the flood didn't just simply cover the earth with water. The flood cataclysmically affected the entire earth. The entire earth shifted. Everything became different because of sin. And what's going to happen is when God gives the new heaven and the new earth, everything is going to be restored back to the way it was before sin ever entered the world. You see, these continents brought a separation between mankind. My wife hates to fly. She hates it with a passion. But she loves to go places. And so in, in September, she's, she's earned this trip to Scotland and Ireland. I get to go with her. And I'm happy. And she's looking forward to that because one of the things that will happen is I have to wear a kilt. But she's really looking forward to this trip, but she hates to fly over the oceans. But we're separated now. And the only way to get there is by plane or by boat. And she doesn't want to take a boat. She'd rather take a plane because it's quicker. But we're separated. But one day, on the new heaven and new earth, everything is going to be brought back together. It's no longer going to be a separation between mankind. And there's no longer going to be a separation between God and man. Now, what will this new earth be like? Well, the more I look at planet earth and I see planet earth and I get to travel around, the more I'm amazed at the unspeakable beauty of planet earth. The Grand Canyons, the the Alps, the Amazon rainforest, all of these are beautiful, but they pale in comparison to what the earth will be like. You see, none of us have ever seen a world without the curse of sin. We can be in the most beautiful places on earth, and we can say, this is paradise. And yet we need to understand that what we are seeing has been cursed by sin now what is this new earth going to look like well because it's earth we can expect earthly things there's going to be mountains and rivers and lakes and trees and waterfalls all the natural beauties that we can experience here on planet earth today but yet everything will be more spectacular there will be waterfalls but they will be more spectacular than Niagara Falls or Victoria Falls there will be mountains but they will be more splendid than the Himalayas the Rockies or or the Alps And you and I will be able to visit and explore all of these places. Now, the question that a lot of people have is, will animals be there? And more specifically, will pets be there? Now, Scott and Tracy, they have two dogs. They love those dogs. Those dogs love them. And I would dare say that I'm I'm not exaggerating when there may be times that Scott loves those dogs dogs more than he loves his kids not often but there there are times I mean he loves those dogs and and so we sit back and we wonder you know, because some of you have pets just like that that you you love and we wonder are pets going to be in heaven on this new earth well in their book beyond death Gary Habermas and J.P. Moreland said this They said it was not until the advent of the 17th century enlightenment that the existence of animal souls was even questioned in Western civilization. 
throughout the earth of the, the history of the church, the classic understanding of living things has included the doctrine that animals as well as human beings have souls. The soul is what lasts. The soul is what is eternal. What that is saying is God created animals to be eternal just like he created human beings to be eternal. That doesn't mean that animals are created in the image and the likeness of God. They're not. It doesn't mean that animals are on the, are on the nature or on the, on the level of man. They're not. But it does mean that God created animals to last forever. Now here's what we know. There will definitely be animals on this new earth. In Isaiah 65, when God was telling about the new heavens and the new earth, he said the wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. Did you hear that? The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion and the, the will eat straw like the ox. Animals have always been a part of God's plan, and they always will be. That's why God spared the animals during the flood. God has always used animals even as a part of his divine purpose in people's lives. From the ravens feeding Elijah to the fish swallowing um, Jonah to the donkey stopping, ba stopping Balaam. And even that unusual passage that really doesn't make a lot of sense in Jonah 4. Where Jonah's been called to preach the gospel and tell people to repent in Nineveh. And it says there, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about this great city? I mean, have you ever wondered, why does God add there, they've got many cattle. I mean, sure, the 120,000 people, God's concerned about them, but they've got many cattle there as well. Why does God say that? Well, obviously, because God doesn't want to destroy those cattle either. He, he, he has a love for all of creation. Now, people such as Johnny Erickson, Todd, and C.S. Lewis are not only convinced that animals in general will inhabit this new earth, but pets in particular will be restored. Johnny Erickson Todd has said this. She said, if God brings our pets back to life, it wouldn't surprise me. Now, could you imagine that, being able to enjoy your pet for all eternity. I personally would get tired of it. <laughs> but I know that for you that love pets, you might have it. And can animals be able to talk? Maybe. I mean, Shrek had a talking donkey. I mean, we may see talking animals on this new earth. So we see the creation of our new home. Second thing we see is the central city of our new home. Look at verse 2. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now understand, this isn't just a metaphor. This is a literal city. And think about it. We will be physically resurrected beings. And so if we're physical resurrected beings where will we live the bible says that we will live in a real city with streets and trees and rivers god will literally bring his city the place where he dwells down to the new earth and he will make it his capital city but listen this isn't just an ordinary city it's a city of imaginable unimaginable beauty and complete holiness john describes it as this perfect cube surrounded by a wall with 12 gates coming into the city the wall has 12 foundations it's it's a city that that is described as completely safe 
There are four gates entering the city on each side of the wall, the north wall, the south wall, the east wall, the west wall, and they are each guarded by an angel, even though we are on the city of God, it's completely safe, but there are angels there guarding. The gates are never shut. We can go in and out anytime we want. Sometimes we'll go out on a mission or a task, and other times we'll go out to just enjoy the beauty of God's creation. We'll have unhindered access both to the city and this new earth. And we're told here in these chapters that on the gates are written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, and on the foundations are written the names of each of the disciples. I believe this tells us that the saints of all ages will dwell in this city. The walls, they're made of pure jasper. The foundation of the walls are made of 12 kinds of precious stones, including sapphire, and emerald, and topaz. We make our foundations today out of cement and concrete and stones. But in heaven, the foundations of our city will be magnificent, precious stones, giving a beautiful, colorful reflection of the splendor and the glory of God. Each gate is made from a single pearl. The city itself is made of pure gold. When an angel measured the city, it measured over 14. 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles wide. That's 40 times bigger than England, 10 times bigger than Germany and France, and almost two times bigger than India. The city would stretch further than the furthest point of Maine to the tip of Florida and from the Atlantic Ocean to the Rocky Mountains. But what is even more amazing, it's not just 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles wide. It's 1,400 miles high. If we think of this city being a gigantic skyscraper and each floor is 20 feet high, it will be almost 400,000 stories tall. 400,000. Each floor would be big enough to have 62,726,400 condos, 10,000 square feet each. Can you imagine having a corner condo on the 400,000th floor overlooking the new earth, looking into the heavens? It's going to be amazing. It's going to be beautiful. The main street of the city, the Bible says, is made of pure gold, as transparent as glass. Flowing through the middle of Main Street is the river of life. It flows from the throne of God. And on each side of the river, we see not one, but the Bible says many trees of life lining the river on the Main Street to the throne of God. Verse 27 tells us that nothing impure will enter this city. In verse 8, we're told some of the people who will never enter this city, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice the magic arts, the idolaters, all liars, it says their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The cowardly are those who, who are afraid to confess Christ. The unbelieving are those who refuse to place their faith in Christ. The vile are those who are dirty and morally filthy. We know what murderers are. The, the word for sexually immoral here is the word pornos, pornos, which describes all types of sexual sin. 
The word for, for magic arts or witchcraft is pharmakos, which literally means druggist. In ancient days, your, your witches, your sorcerers would use drugs to get people to have visions. Idolaters are those who worship other gods, and we know what liars are. And this list isn't intended to be all-inclusive, but it's simply an example of the kind of people who will not be in the city of God. And you say, Rocky, if somebody has committed one of those sins, will they never enter the kingdom of God? That's not what it's saying. But what it's saying is those who live their lives this way and die this way, they will not enter the kingdom of God. And from this city, this beautiful city of God, we will rule and reign with Christ. But there's a third thing we see in this passage, and that is the communion with God in our new home. Notice what it says in verse 3. It says, I heard a, a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. Anthony Hokema put it this way. He said, God will make the new earth his dwelling place. Heaven and earth will no longer be separated as they are now, but they will be one. Now, though our focus in verses 1 and 2 has been on the earth and the city, the most important thing in our eternal home is the person that will be there, and that is God. Psalm 63 says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. On this new earth, the barriers that have separated redeemed human beings from God will be gone forever. I love how Randy Alcorn put it. He said, Eden's greatest attraction was God's presence being with God. The greatest tragedy of sin and the curse was that God no longer dwelt with his people. But praise God, for all eternity, we will again fellowship with God the way Adam and Eve did in the garden. The gap that has long separated a holy God from sinful man will once and finally be bridged. We will enjoy unhindered access to the presence of God. Theologian Sam Storm said, we will constantly be more amazed with God, more in love with God, and thus even more relishing His presence and our relationship with Him. I want you to notice what it says again. It says, the dwelling of God is with man. Do you remember where else we find that in Scripture? In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only. Revelation 22, 4 says, We will see His face. In his letter to the Corinthian church, the Apostle Paul said, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, but then we will see Him face to face. You see, even though God dwells in the believer today through the power of the Holy Spirit, and even though we experience God's love through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus, and even though we know God's protection through our Heavenly Father, we have not yet begun to understand the wonder of who God is. D.L. Moody said we could spend eternity simply looking into the face of Jesus. Fanny Crosby, who was born blind, was once asked, was she bitter because God hadn't 
killed her. And she said, oh, no, because the first face I'll ever see is the face of the one who died for me. Can you imagine being with the one who spoke the world into existence? The one who gave his life so that we can live. The all-powerful, all-knowing God. Can you imagine being able to see his face, touch his hand, or like Mary, kiss his feet? You see, our communion will be perfect because the curse has been lifted. Revelation 22.3 says, no longer will there be any curse. We were born under the curse of sin, but praise God, that curse will finally be lifted completely. In life, when we trust Jesus, we are declared righteous. But in the next life, we will be righteous. Now, some may ask, is there a possibility of sin on this new earth? And I would say, no, there is no possibility. And the reason is Satan has been cast into the lake of fire. The flesh which we now live in, has been died, and we have been given new bodies free from the old sinful flesh, and the world that tempts us is going to be made brand new. No, sin will never enter the new earth. And notice something, there is no temple in this city. Why? Because God is there. We will worship Him completely in everything we do. We will finally have come to that place where we will truly do everything for the glory of God. But there's one final thing we see in these verses, and that is the comfort we experience in our new home. Look at verse 4. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Now, there may be happy tears in heaven, but there are there certainly won't be sad tears. Everything that causes sadness and pain will be, a, be in the past. Death will be defeated. Pain will be no more. Everything that causes sorrow and heartache will be a distant memory. Now, some have this idea that God will blank out part of our memory. But I believe we will be comforted not because we know less, but because we know more. You see, the point is not that we won't have a recollection of things, but rather we will have a new perspective on things. And this new perspective changes everything. We will understand things like we've never understood them before. Now, if your Bible is open, listen to what it says in Revelation 21, verse 7. It says, he who overcomes will inherit all of this, and I will be his God, and he will be my child. First John chapter 5, verse 5 says, Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. How do we get to experience the beauty, the wonder, the splendor of this new earth? How do we get to live in God's presence forever? We have to have a saving faith, a saving belief in Jesus Christ. We have to surrender our life to him, trusting him with every aspect of our life. And when we do, we not only are saved here on this earth, forgiven of our sins, but we have the hope of an eternal home 
that he has created for us to live in forever and ever and ever. And so do you know him? Have you truly given your life to him? You see, there are only two options once we die. God created you with a soul. You will live forever somewhere. There's only two options. The one is the lake of fire. And everyone who is unrepentant will spend eternity there. And Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in John chapter 7 that the sad reality is most people will end up there. But we don't have to. God has a better place. A place that he is going to make for us. A place that he is going to dwell with us forever. A new heaven. A new earth. For us to enjoy as we worship him with all of our being. But the only way we can get there is to place our faith in him. So have you? Have you turned from sin trusting Jesus to be your savior? If not, then that's what you need to do today. So I want you to bow your head for just a moment and close your eyes. And if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus and today you're ready to humble yourself before Almighty God, acknowledging I'm a sinner, I need to be forgiven, I need to surrender my life to Jesus, trusting him to save me, then I encourage you to pray this prayer right now. Dear God, I humbly come to you today acknowledging my sin. I've been living life my way, doing what I wanted. I'm sorry. I'm tired of acting as if I were God. That's sin. Jesus, I know you came to this earth. I know you died on the cross, rose from the grave to pay for my sin. Today, I'm trusting you to save me. Today I'm giving my life to you. Take control. From this point on, Jesus, I want to live for you with all my heart. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me.